turn in our copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I hope to see you later today, this evening, as we have the trunk retreat running from 5 to 7. If you're preparing a trunk, uh, Lord willing, it will not be raining. Uh, if it is, then I think you most, most of you know we'll be moving inside for that time. But that is from 5 to 7 this evening. We hope families from the communities uh, come in and that we can just love them well and enjoy this time together as a church family also. So from 5 to 7 this evening, I hope to see you right up here. 1 John chapter 4. I want us to begin reading at verse 19 this morning, and we'll run all the way through chapter 5, verse 5. This is what John writes. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and as such, we need to hear, we need to believe, we need to obey. So, Lord, I pray that you would meet us where we are this morning. If we are in our hurts and our pains, meet us in comfort and in peace. If we are in the joys, even through the midst of a fallen world, Lord, I pray that that joy would continue and we would see the goodness of Christ. Whether we are in the valley or lie down in green pastures, I pray that, Lord, we would see that you are God, that you are good, that Jesus is our Savior and our King, our Rescuer. Lord, we know that he is better than we think he is, that your love is deeper than we can imagine that your grace extends today and tomorrow and for all eternity. He is the Savior that we need and the Savior that you have given. And so, Lord, if there are any here this morning who have not seen him and trusted in him for their salvation, may today be that day where you do the miracle of saving a sinner and making them righteous of taking one who was an enemy and making them a son or a daughter. Lord, you alone can do this. It doesn't come from right song choices, right notes played, right words said in a sermon. It comes by your spirit working through your word. So Lord, set our eyes on the king this morning, we pray. He is who we need. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. 
has been writing to us who believe, and his purpose for writing, according to chapter 5, verse 13, is this, that we may know that we have eternal life. And so what he's done throughout this letter, and you've probably noticed, is he set before us the marks of the authentic believer so that we can look at our lives and we can judge by these marks. Do we have them? Is our life characterized by the things that John sets forth in this letter? Is our faith real? And as we're seeing the marks of authentic faith, not only are we to know that we are God's people, but we're encouraged and cemented in the fact that we have eternal life. But on the flip side of that, if you're listening to this and you've kind of noticed in yourself, you know what, this doesn't describe me. This isn't what my life is like. Then what this is a call to is for you to see your need of Christ, cast yourself on his mercy, turn from your sin, and trust that Jesus alone can save you. That if you don't see the marks that John has set forth, go to Christ as Savior and he will save you and he will make you new. Here's the truth. Churches are full of people who don't know the Lord, who've never trusted in Him. That in our midst, even today, are those people who know Christ and are saved by Christ, but also there are those who don't know Him. It doesn't matter if you just got here or you've been here years. We know through the Old Testament that this is a truth that happens. John said earlier, many antichrists have come and they're even teaching in the church things that aren't true of Christ. Their teaching and their life and their belief are at odds with the, what the apostles taught. In Jude chapter 1, Jude writes and he says, look, certain people have crept into the church unnoticed who long ago were designated for condemnation. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. What he's saying is there are people that are in the church, even the early church, whose lives were marked by nothing of the gospel, that they were denying their only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. In Matthew 18, you have this picture of, of church discipline where when someone sins against another person, then that person is supposed to go to the one who sinned against them and, and, and seek reconciliation, seek repentance. And if they won't listen to that person, you gather one or two more. You go to the one who sinned, and you seek repentance and reconciliation. If they don't listen to that person, you bring them before the entire church. If they don't listen to the entire church, then he says you treat them as an unbeliever. You treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. If you're a tax collector visiting with us this morning, it's great to have you. Thank you for coming. What's he saying? That in the church there are believers and there are unbelievers. That there are both. You want to know why we preach the gospel every week? Because we want unbelievers to hear how they can be saved. And we want believers to remember it's not of you, it's of Jesus. That he is our savior, he is our king he is the one who gets all glory and honor and praise. So John's given us these tests throughout this letter, but every test has essentially fallen under one of three categories. We haven't really talked about this part, but I want to just throw this out to you. You will know someone is a Christian by what they believe. That that's one of the categories of tests that John uses. Secondly, you will know someone is a Christian through their obedience to Christ. 
And lastly, you will know someone as a Christian by whether they love the brothers, whether they love the church. And what John's going to do today is he's going to show us that these aren't three separate strands that, oh, I've got this one, I'm good. I've got this one, I'm good. No, they work together. That They are three cords of one rope. So in chapter 4, verse 20, he says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And then notice what he does. He says, this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So the question here wouldn't simply be, are you loving your brother, but are you obeying God's command? So you see how those two, obedience to commands, loving one another, they are tied together. So the question here would simply be, are you loving your brother? Are you obeying this command? Notice how he says it. If you claim to love God but hate your brother. Now, we haven't pointed this out. That's not plural, is it? That's singular. If you claim to love God but hate your brother. In other words, there can't be in you or in me this place where we say, you know what, I love the church. I love my brothers and sisters, but I hate that guy. That one person, I can't stand him. That one sister, I do all I can to avoid her. God is saying, no, that can't be. That's not how this works. He says in verse 1 of chapter 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. That there are to be no exceptions in this. So if, if you've been sitting out there saying, well, I love the church. I love the group. But you knew in the back of your mind there's that one person? Well, John's saying, hey, I hadn't forgot you. Let's come back to this. How does this play out? I mean, is this a thing that really happens? Do I have to even ask that question? I love my Baptist brothers and sisters. <laughs> Those Presbyterians, though. Those Methodists, no. For all who believe that Jesus is the Christ and whose lives are set toward obedience. So let, let me just throw this out. If you're hearing Westboro Baptist, are they, do you ever still remember them? Yeah? If you're hearing Westboro Baptist, well, they talk about Jesus. I'm not talking about them. Here's why. Because they may claim some sort of relationship to Christ, but the entirety of their life is marked by disobedience and hatred that you can see publicly at least. So we would, I wouldn't look at them and say, yeah, that is clearly a Christian church. Why? Because they don't have the marks of saving faith that John has put forth. 
But what's he saying? That anyone whose life is marked by the truth of the gospel and obedience to that truth, including how they love others, that person is to be seen as your brother or sister, and they are to be what? Loved. Loved by you. Does this mean that we agree with our Methodist friends and brothers and sisters and our Presbyterian brothers and sisters on all things? No, we don't. Not at all. One of these days, we are going to get to heaven and we're going to learn that they were wrong. <laughs> or we were. Right? You think you got it all figured out? If you do, then I'm going to give you the book of Revelation and you can preach it. Right? No, we don't have it all figured out. We don't. We're going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to say, hey, you remember that thing where you're going to say, ah, I thought you meant this. No, I meant something else. Do you love your Presbyterian brothers and sisters? I hope so. Do you love your Methodist? This could go past those two, right? I'm just, I just don't feel the need to claim them all. Do you love them? Do you want good for them? You know what I would love? I want revival to come in this city. And if it happens at UMC, praise God. If it happens at Fairview, praise God. If it happens at Main Street, praise God. If it happens here, praise God. Because we want God glorified through his son, Jesus Christ. If we claim Jesus is the Christ, and if they claim Jesus is the Christ, and if that evidence is there that they've been born again, then we see them as brothers and sisters and we love them as brothers and sisters. If it's not there, then we don't see them as brothers and sisters and what do we do to them? We love them. And we hope they come to faith in Christ. But what about here? It's a little more close to home, right? If there is hatred in you for anyone here. And, and by hatred, uh, let's, let's clarify. The Bible doesn't talk about love and then slightly less than love working its way down to indifference and then down to hatred. That's not how it treats this. It says you either love someone, and when it talks about love, it's this agape love, this active, sacrificial love obvious love it's not sentimentality that your life is focused on well i feel great feelings does that person that's tough it is an obvious active servant-hearted need-seeking love and then anything less than that the bible calls what hatred if this if there is someone here that you just don't love you don't want their good, wouldn't be willing to work toward it, then we need to repent of that. That's sin. It's rebellion. Let's recognize what the Lord is saying that can't be in the Christian. And then let's pursue love of one another, not sentimentality, but an active serving love that pursues the good of one another as verse 2 says by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments 
For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. John says to us, when you are born again, when you are made new by God to see him rightly and to trust in him, when he takes out your heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh, then you will love him. And you will love what he loves. And because you love him, you will want to live a life that pleases him, which means you'll want to obey and you won't find his laws burdensome. There won't be this nuisance to you. Why? Because you love him. So the call right here is to love him, and you want to do that. To love one another, and you desire to do that. And you won't find these calls to be a burden to you. Are they easy? No. Not always. But he's working in us by this Holy Spirit that he's given us to bring about a holy work in you. Now we come to verse 4 and John says this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I want to acknowledge something. First John is a hard book. Have you noticed? It is repetitive. There is this, well, we've talked about the spiral staircase, and the spiral staircase is difficult. And so I want to acknowledge that. I want to thank you guys for pushing through it with me, where, you, where some of you, I know you feel like, man, we've talked about this. We've done this. If you talk about love one more time, I'm going to kill you. That sort of thing, right? You need it the most. But we're coming to the end. And John's telling us something, and it's important. He's telling us something he wants us to know, and more importantly, that the Lord wants us to know. As you've heard this book, and as you've read this book, John has described for you how to know if you've been born of God. Does it show in what you believe? Does it show in how you obey does it show in how you love? And when you come to that place where you can examine your life and your heart and your soul and you say, yes, I see that fruit in my life. I see that I've been born of God. Then John is saying this, you know that you have eternal life. And then he says this to us. And only then does he say this to us. Understand this. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. You may have noticed a, a, a theme in our music today. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. You have victory. It's yours. You've overcome. How do you know? What's the sign that you've overcome the world? Is it that you're perfect? That you don't fail, that you don't struggle, that you don't, that, that sin doesn't tempt you anymore. No, it's none of those things. What's the sign that you've overcome the world? Your faith. What does that mean? You may have noticed that faith is a big deal in the world. You regularly hear people talk about faith. You just have to have faith. Have faith. Oprah talked about it all the time. Have faith. Faith in what? 
faith. Even recently, the Queen of England passed. I don't know if you saw this on the news 24-7. You know what her title was? Her title was the Defender of the Faith. Did you ever hear that? Did you know that? That as the queen, she was the defender of the faith because she was the supreme leader of the Church of England. Now, she has passed, and her son, Charles III, at 73 years of age, finally had to get a job, and he chose to be the king of England. And you know what he said? He said when he came in, he goes, I'm not going to be, my title's not going to be the defender of the faith. My title's going to be the defender of faith. That's a problem. It's a bad start. That is not the supreme leader you want over your church. Why? Because faith is not some amorphous concept where it's just this thing you have. Faith is not something to brag about as if all faiths are equal and as long as you have faith, you are good. Friends, it's not the fact that you have faith that will save you. You won't overcome simply by having faith. That's not what John is saying. When John's talking about faith being the sign of your victory and of your overcoming, he's talking about your faith in the one who overcomes. He's talking about your faith in the crucified, died, risen, reigning king who at this moment is sitting on the throne with all power and dominion and authority and glory and honor and praise. What he's saying is this. If your faith is in Jesus, then you have overcome already. How do you know? Because that's what he's done. He came. He overcame. And then he sat down at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. What does that mean when he sat down? It meant his work was finished. That he did what he came to do. He came to overcome and to chew bubblegum, as they say. And now he's just chewing bubblegum. His work is finished. He came. He overcame. He sat down. What does it mean... What is it you are meant to believe? Verse 1, that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 5, that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the promised Messiah who came to save sinners. That he is the one who saw you in your needs, saw you in your sin and said, I'm coming to save you. I'm coming to do for you what you can't do for yourself. That on the cross, Jesus didn't lose. If you've ever read the Gospel of John, John goes out of his way to make sure you understand that they aren't taking anything from him. He says, he went to Jerusalem. He laid down his life. He gave up his spirit. He breathed his last. That Jesus is the actor in all of those things. Why? Because on the cross, he did not lose. He won. That when he was on the cross, he didn't need to be saved because what he was doing was saving for himself a people, his very own possession. And so understand something. You aren't saved by your faith. 
You are saved by the one in whom your faith rests. Why? Because the Lord moved in power to save you. To live and die and rise again for you. That's our God. That's who we serve. And he moves in power to bring victory to his people. And John is saying that as you trust in him, you know that you already have victory. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think back on the scriptures. I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to check your Baptist at the door. I want you to dig down deep for some charismatic Pentecostal. Can you do this? Think on the scriptures and how the Lord provides and moves mightily for his people. Give me some places. Give me your favorite stories of how you see the Lord moving in power for his people. I saw this going differently. Pentecost, yes, absolutely, the Holy Spirit coming down. What else? The Exodus, incredible story, the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. God moved in power when they had no hope. What else? What? The conversion of Saul to Paul, yes. Crucifixion to death and the resurrection the stone rolled away and the angel says why are you here the transfiguration Noah what an incredible story David and Goliath Joseph sold into slavery so that he could one day a slave work his way up to the second of command in a nation like Egypt incredible The sovereignty of God. When we're talking about the God who overcomes, don't miss that the stories in Scripture are there so that you can see that this is who He is. Think about your own life. Don't yell this out. How many of you, you can look at your own life and say, I remember when God did this. He showed His faithfulness, His power, His ability to deliver and to overcome. When there was no hope anywhere he moved. Do you see that in your life? Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Because it's the picture of what John is saying to us right here about the God who overcame for you. And because that is true, you overcome. You have right now victory through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible asks questions like this. Who can stand against the Lord? This is why Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And God's response, we're told in Psalm 2, is simply this. He who sits in the heavens laughs. A few minutes ago, we sang, It is well. It is well with my soul. Do you know the story behind that song? Horatio Spafford was an eight, a 19th century lawyer and a Presbyterian elder in Chicago. He was a fairly wealthy man. He'd bought a lot of real estate in, in Chicago, and he lost most everything in the Chicago fires of 1871. 
within a couple of years, they were going to go see, go to England to see their friend D.L. Moody preach. And some business kept him in Chicago, so he sent his wife and their four daughters on a, on a ship going over to England. Well, en route, that ship was hit by an iron sailing vessel, and 226 people aboard died, including his four daughters, Annie, age 12, Maggie, age 7, Bessie, age 4, and their 18-month-old daughter. The ship finally gets to Wells, and his wife, Anna, sends him a telegraph with two haunting words. All it says are, saved alone. Spafford immediately sets sail to be with his wife, and they're passing over the spot where this accident occurred and where his daughters drowned, and he pins the words to that song we just sang. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but all of it, the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. How do you write that? Right there, on that ocean, at that place, with that loss, how do you do that? Because he knew what was true, that Christ had overcome for him. That through faith in Jesus, his soul was right with God and his victory was his. He knew it. And though he longed for the day when his faith would be sight, he knew it to be true. Let's be honest. In this life, it does not always, doesn't even usually look like victory. It's rarely obvious that we have overcome. We walk by faith don't we? But here's what I want you to see. If you would be willing, let's turn over to Revelation. It's just literally a, two, a few pages to your right. Revelation. And I want us to read through chapter 5 together. I want you to see this. Revelation chapter 5. This is the same guy writing this letter who is writing what we've been studying the last few weeks. Read with me starting at Revelation 5 verse 1. John says, And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And so what did John do? I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders standing there said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain 
with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. What is that? That's the end but it's the beginning. John is saying, the lamb has come, he was slain, and he stands as the lion who has conquered. He's victorious, and he's ransomed by his blood a people for God from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign. Why have we overcome? Because the lamb that was slain has risen again. And he is the lion who has conquered. Do you doubt that this God still moves in the life of his people? Do you doubt that this is the God who overcame for you? Who has brought and bought and purchased by his own blood victory for you? Do you doubt you can trust him? Oh, he's worthy. He's worthy. I want to fill you in on a story that I've told you a few times, but there's a new chapter that's been written on it. It's, it's a new chapter, but it's an old chapter written before the foundation of the world. I just, I just didn't know it yet. You guys have been hearing about my brother, about praying for him for months, how he had to, he, he was in Seattle, wealthy, good life got sick and has had to sell pretty much everything and had to move across the country so that he could be in a hospital. He was sick enough. We, we thought he was going to die, and we've been praying for his salvation for decades. And so he sold all he had. He, he got his family, and they moved across the country to Cleveland so that he could be in the Cleveland hospital there. And we've been praying and praying and praying. And yet, last week, he was able to come into Columbus, and we sat behind the Malco Theater, and... Um, for the first time ever, ever that I remember as we're talking through things of God and the gospel, he's listening. Never had ears to hear before. And we're talking about how, you know what, it may be that God's brought all these things and he's taken all these things out of your life so that he can show you where life is found. He's taken all the chaos and all the, all the items, all the, all the treasures, all the trinkets, and that it just may be, and finally he's at a place where he's thinking it just may be that this sickness and the loss and the leaving is not God's destroying him. It's actually God's saving him. 
And, and that, that's what I've been praying. God, don't heal him physically until you heal him spiritually. Don't let him up. Don't let him breathe until he comes to know you. I spoke with him on Friday, and this is what he says to me. He says, after we left, we were, I was driving alone back from Birmingham up to Cleveland, and on Monday morning, I pulled into the neighborhood about 145. He said, I pulled over, and I knew it was true. I knew I needed the Lord. And I prayed, and I asked God to save me and to make me right and forgive me. I knew there was nowhere else to go. I said, that's amazing. It's decades and decades. Thank you. So thank you for your prayers. God moves for his people. God overcomes for his people. He went to the hospital on Thursday. He said, I'm feeling much better. And the doctors say, it's gone. I'm Baptist. I'm not charismatic. I don't know how to tell you that. But they said the... the the sarcoidosis that doesn't just go away just went away what do you do with that what do you want to do this is your victory your faith this is you who've overcome the lamb who was slain and the lion who roars now we must end is your faith in Christ? Is your hope in Christ? Is your life being found in Christ? Do you know him as king, as conqueror, as father? Is your faith showing in obedience? Is it showing in love of your brothers and sisters? What is it to which the Lord is calling you today? He's a good God. Trust in him and obey. Whatever it is he's calling you to, listen. I'll be right down here if I can be of assistance. Come on down and we will pray together. But let's go to the Lord in obedience and in faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. And we claim where else are we going to go? You alone have the gift of life. And Lord, we want life. We want life that Jesus talks about, this eternal life, this abundant life. So where our eyes are set on this world, take them off. Where our hope is set in this world, take that away. Lord, set our eyes, set our hope on the King and His coming. And we thank you that, Father, through faith, you overcome. And because of that, we have overcome already. Thank you for being our King and our conqueror. Now lead us to worship, we pray in Jesus' name.